when you're pregnant, especially towards the end, your body releases a lot of what's called relaxin, and that helps mainly your pelvis to relax and become a little more flexible for the birth process. But, you know, it doesn't just target that one area. It can definitely have an effect on your ribcage as well. You're listening to the Mommy Labor Nurse Podcast, where you'll gain the tools, knowledge, and confidence you need to erase the unknowns, feel in control, and have an even better birth no matter how you deliver. My name is Liesl Teen, mom of two, practicing labor and delivery nurse, and your host. From over eight years and counting of working at the bedside, I know that knowledge is the key to an even better birth. So tune in each week to learn about all things pregnancy, birth, and postpartum from me, a labor and delivery nurse that's seen it all. And now let's get into this week's episode. This week on the Mommy Labor Nurse Podcast, I am going to answer two questions submitted by mamas to the MLN listener line. The first question is from Sarah, who is currently 25 weeks pregnant and looking for more information about placenta previa. I love this question because it's actually pretty common to get told that you have a previa at your anatomy scan, which is about usually somewhere between 16 and 20 weeks, but there is still a lot of time for it to move. So I will answer her question and educate about previas in general. And then the second question will have a shifting to postpartum to talk about what's normal and what's not when it comes to rib pain after birth. Hmm, interesting, right? We're going to be talking about (laughs) rib pain. Let's do it. All right. So if you want to listen to another Ask Me Anything style episode after this one, check out episode 137, Ask Me Anything About Labor and Delivery. And if you want to submit a question to be answered on an upcoming show and possibly hear your voice, it's so fun. Simply call 919-213-8719 and just leave me a voicemail. Hi, Liesl. My name is Sarah. I'm currently 25 weeks pregnant. I was diagnosed with placenta previa total or complete, however they call it. And I just wanted to know what are the chances of it changing and shifting and moving away from the cervix? Because I've kind of seen some mixed information out there saying that it's very likely to move and some other information saying that it's not likely to move. I just wanted to kind of know what to expect, whether I could do a natural vaginal birth or a cesarean. I greatly love your input and I love your show. Thank you so much. All right, placenta previa, let's talk about it. I thought it would be fun to start off this episode and actually talk about the word previa and where that word comes from. So I Googled it, of course, you know, can't just pull that out of my head. (laughs) So previa is a combination of two words, okay, pre and via, right? (laughs) So pre means before, right? Usually in most words, I guess all words, pre means before, and via means way. So when I say way, I mean like passageway. So if we put those two together, in medicine, if we label something a previa, it probably means that it's before the passageway. So it's blocking the exit. And what's the exit? The cervix, your vagina, childbirth, right? And that's exactly what a placenta 
Previa is. It's when your placenta blocks the exit, the out. There's also something called a vasa previa, which is vasa means vessel. And that is when the vessels block the exit, the passageway, when the umbilical cord covers the cervix. Okay, cool. Got a little lesson. So let's talk about placenta previa because that is what this question is about. Sarah says she has a complete placenta previa. Now, like I just explained, placenta previa is where the placenta partially or completely covers the cervix. There's also a third one called a marginal placenta previa, and that is the least uh, severe. Okay, I use severe, but severe is kind of a scary word, but it's the least severe of the three, complete, partial, or marginal. And that is basically just where the edge of your placenta is touching your cervix, but it doesn't cover it at all. That one is the most common of the three. It happens in about one in 100 pregnancies. Okay, and I know that actually sounds like pretty darn common, but you'll learn that it usually goes away. But that's the most common of the three previas. And then partial happens in about one in 150 pregnancies. And then complete is the rarest, which is what Sarah has. That is about one in 200 pregnancies, give or take. But in general, you know, complete is the rarest. Marginal is the most common. If you get diagnosed with a previa, it is usually found at your anatomy scan. And the likelihood of it resolving depends on its type. So if you have a marginal placenta previa, you have a pretty high likelihood of it shifting and it moving away from that cervix. If you have a partial placenta previa, you have a little bit lower odds of it moving, but still a higher likelihood than if it is a complete placenta previa. And a lot of times people wonder, well, like, what does that even mean? What is shifting or like growing or moving? How does the placenta move? Okay, so I did a reel uh, a while back, a few months ago. And if you think about a balloon, it's actually a pretty similar shape to your uterus, okay? The cervix is a a little long. The neck of the balloon is a little longer than what your cervix would be. But think about the neck of the balloon being your cervix, okay? And the actual balloon part being your uterus. So basically what I did was I drew a little shape with a Sharpie kind of right where that placenta would be if it were a marginal placenta. I couldn't really draw. I guess I couldn't. Yeah, no, it wouldn't have worked if it was a partial or complete. But I drew a marginal placenta previa. So I blew the balloon up, okay, and I drew it kind of on there, the little Sharpie shape, the little shape touching the neck of the balloon. And then what I did was I blew it up even further and the Sharpie shape (laughs) expanded and kind of grew up with that balloon. And that's exactly what your placenta does as your uterus expands, as it gets bigger. Not sure what you should be learning and doing in each week of pregnancy to feel your best and get prepared for birth? I know that when you're pregnant, it can feel impossible to stay on top of all the new stuff going on with your body, your baby, and your bulging at the seams to-do list. That's why I created the free weekly pregnancy series. Sign up to get tips, advice, and resources tailored to your exact week of pregnancy sent straight to your inbox every week. Sign up at mommylabornurse.com slash I am pregnant to get your first email today. That's all one word, mommylabornurse.com slash I am pregnant. See you in your inbox real soon. It's not that it necessarily 
moves like it crawls, <laughs> like it moves locations, it grows with the uterus and your uterus grows a lot <laughs> during pregnancy, right? And there's a big difference between a 20-week uterine size and a 40-week uterine size. So if we think about the placenta and its size at 20 weeks versus 40 weeks, if it's a marginal placenta previa and it grows upwards, it can move pretty far. And usually that's what it does. Now, if you have a complete placenta previa, it's a little less likely to do this, but it still can happen where it kind of grows upwards that way. But usually what happens is it grows kind of the other way. Okay, so it gets diagnosed and, it, you know, you have a complete one. It's completely blocking the cervix and it grows like down instead of kind of growing up with the uterus. Nothing wrong with that. But if we're starting to see that it's doing that, that is a contraindication for a vaginal delivery because we have a placenta blocking the passageway. The baby cannot exit through the placenta. The baby cannot wear a placenta-shaped hat coming out. It just, it does not work. It's in the way. So. If you have a complete placenta previa, you will likely be told that you need a few more ultrasounds during your pregnancy. They're going to monitor it and see how it's growing, which way it's going, and they will advise you as your pregnancy progresses. If you get diagnosed with a marginal or even a partial placenta previa, they probably are going to want to do another couple ultrasounds too, just to check on its progress. And if they're seeing that it's turning into a complete placenta previa, that's when they'll say, let's monitor this even closer. But if they're starting to see, oh, wait a second, it's not a previa anymore, you're good, then you're good. If for some reason you have a partial placenta previa, when you get diagnosed 20 weeks and they keep monitoring it and it's not turning into a complete placenta previa, but it's not really like moving like we expect it to move and it's still a pretty partial placenta previa towards the end of your pregnancy, that is also a contraindication for a vaginal delivery. So they will advise you to have a C-section. But yeah, really the gist is you'll get monitored a little bit more and we really can't predict what it's going to do until we give it time to do what it's going to do. Now, another thing you might be wondering about placenta previa is, okay, if I get diagnosed, what do, is there anything I have to restrict or any kind of like, what do I do? So because there is a placenta right there, very close to your cervix, we're not going to do any vaginal examinations and your provider is going to say, let's do some pelvic rest. Okay. And that means we don't want to have any sex. Okay. And avoid anything in the vagina. Pelvic rest. Give your vagina some rest. Nothing in there. Leave it alone. Because if we irritate it, it can cause bleeding. And we'll talk about that. That's, we don't want the placenta to bleed. You also might have your physical activity restricted. We still want you to be, you know, getting good physical exercise, right? But any really strenuous activities, your provider, depending on your diagnosis and also your symptoms, okay? If you're already coming in and you're having bleeding and you get diagnosed with a complete previa, they're going to say, we need to limit a lot of things and really closely monitor you. Sometimes you can even be hospitalized with a placenta previa, even if you get diagnosed very early on, because the reason why we don't want you to be bleeding with this placenta previa is 
anything about the placenta. What is its job? Its job is to nourish baby. So it's this big old organ that has a bunch of vessels and blood and it's attached to your uterus. And if it's covering the cervix, there's a little kind of portion there where it's not attached to the uterus in the way that it would be if it's just on the uterine wall, okay? Because the cervix is just a little different. So that means that it has a higher likelihood of continuing to tear away from your uterine wall. And when it does that, we get lots of bleeding and also can be detrimental for baby because those vessels are not attached anymore. It can also be dangerous for you. Now, in rare cases, you can be bleeding so much, right, that you can lose a lot of blood really, really quickly because you've got, you know, part of your placenta still attached. Your body's like, I need to send blood there because there's a baby. But if part of it's not attached, then your body's sending blood and it's not going through your placenta. It's just pooling and you're just bleeding. And then you'll just have vaginal bleeding. Sometimes the podcast is tricky because I'm doing a lot of things with my hands and I wish I had a, a model and I could be like, look, this, uh, but it's okay. <laughs> Anyways, we don't want you to bleed. All right, the sound of that heartbeat means it's time for this week's segment of Birth It Up Babies. This one says, Hi, Liesl. I just wanted to say thank you for everything you do and all of the ways you are helping mamas to be, feel empowered, and prepared for birth. Myself, my twin sister, and our good childhood friend were all pregnant at the same time and all due within five weeks of each other. Cool. I should have all three of you on the podcast. (laughs) Remember I did that episode a while back where I had two twin sisters on? That one was so much fun. We all follow your page and took your birth courses, and I can't stress enough how much more empowered I felt this go around. My first birth was traumatic, and I was completely unprepared. This time, I was informed, confident, and calm. Your pain coping strategies helped me tremendously. I was able to be fully present for the entire experience, and it was truly one of the best experiences of my life. I truly can't thank you enough. Oh, so sweet. And she sent me a bunch of heart emojis. Oh, love it. Now, if you want to have an even better birth, just like this mama, head on over to mommylibernurse.com slash courses to learn more about our three online on-demand birth classes. Your provider also might say, don't be going anywhere real far. Don't travel a whole lot. Okay, we want to stay close to our doctor's office just in case you did start bleeding. And like I've said, they'll say, you know, depending on what type of previa it is and your symptoms, we're going to monitor you more and this will be your plan moving forward. And then the final kind of question I get a lot when I talk about previa is, is there anything I can do to like encourage it to move? Can I do some sort of stretch or exercise or what? Okay. There is no evidence-based thing you can do to encourage your placenta to move. The only thing I tell people to do is obviously follow your provider's direction or instructions, right? Restrictions, stuff we just talked about, and think uplifting thoughts. (laughs) You see, pun there. Up. We want to do up. Uplifting. Okay. (laughs) Hi, Weasel. First and foremost, my daughter is crying in the background, but I have a 12-year-old and a seven-week-old, and my pregnancies were both super different. I was just wondering if you could answer whether or not rib pain is common um, postpartum. I have super tender ribs and my upper thoracic region is super tender to the touch. I don't know if it's just weakened ab muscles or if 
my daughter just made her ticking and my um, body is just still kind of recovering from labor and delivery. Anyways, I love listening to you and I love your community and I appreciate all your help. Thanks. Question number two, let's talk about some rib pain. Rib pain is one of those things. So whenever we talk about pain, the P word on the podcast, I always have to give the disclaimer of, hey, talk to your provider, right? This is not medical advice here. This is just a podcast about pregnancy. And I am a medical provider, but I cannot assess your individual circumstance, right? So we want to get it checked out. But let's talk about why rib pain might be a thing after you have a baby. So it kind of makes sense why rib pain might be a thing while you're still pregnant, right? Because your uterus grew and it got bigger and it's putting a lot of pressure on those ribs right there. Some people have pregnancies that are very high too. So that can cause the rib pain to be significantly worse. But you would think after you have the baby, the rib pain would go away. Well, sometimes it doesn't. After you give birth, your rib cage, especially if you had like a high pregnancy, your rib cage kind of expanded and it was expanded for a little while up towards the end, right? So it's slowly going back to its original state, just like your entire body is. But it can take some time for your ligaments and your muscles to readjust in this area. And as everything is adjusting, it can definitely lead to some lingering kind of rib pain. Another thing I like to bring up too that is like an aha moment for people is when we breastfeed, if you're breastfeeding, or even if you're not breastfeeding, um, our posture has a lot to do with our ribs and where our ribs kind of lie within our thoracic cage. So if you're always kind of hunched over, you can put a lot more strain on your ribs. And if you're breastfeeding, maybe you're holding your baby in the front, you might have worse postures. So one thing to do is if you are having significant rib pain, remember talk to your provider first, but uh, one thing you can do is really, really focus on that posture. That can make a huge, huge difference. It's just really like consciously thinking about that posture because that will encourage those ligaments and those muscles to kind of get back in their place. You can also do some stretching, like some nice, put your arms kind of back behind your back and do some arm stretching back there or put your arms, you know, kind of all the way above your head and do like a really wide stretch, like almost like you're about to do a back bend, but don't do a back bend unless you're like a gymnast or something. I mean, I guess you could do a back bend, but I probably wouldn't. But yeah, stretching is always good. It's really just encouraging that area to kind of go back to normal. Now, I will say if your rib pain is getting worse, right, since birth, let's say you gave birth and you're like, it's not getting any better and it's actually getting a little bit worse, Liesl. This is when I really want you to talk to your provider, okay? Because there might be something going on. There might be something that you need an x-ray to get something diagnosed. Who knows? Another thing to mention too is let's talk about the hormones in play. When you're pregnant, especially towards the end, your body releases a lot of what's called relaxin and that helps mainly your pelvis to relax and become a little more flexible for the birth process. But, you know, it doesn't just target that one area. It can definitely have an effect on your rib cage as well. So all of that relaxin, all those hormones kind of pump in towards the end of your pregnancy can make that rib cage kind of expand even more. So it can make the process of coming back just a little bit more uncomfortable. But yeah, as the time passes, as your body is adapting to the changes it went through during pregnancy, it should gradually subside. I hope that answers your question. 
All right, guys. Well, this was a short and sweet little podcast episode, but I hope you enjoyed. Again, if you want to come onto the podcast and hear your voice, be sure to call in. I will leave the number again. It is 919-213-8719. All you have to do is just a voicemail. Nobody answers. It just, you know, beeps. (laughs) And you just leave me a voicemail, just like you heard. Leave me a question. I might answer it on the podcast and hear your voice. And we can kind of have a conversation, but not really because you're not going to, you know, hear me until a few weeks later. But anyways, call. I love hearing your questions and answering them on the podcast. All right, next week on the podcast, I'm going to be talking about some milestones you don't want to miss. 20 pregnancy milestones. This one's going to be very informative, concrete. Yeah, tune in. So I will see you guys next week. Already feeling a little more confident about pregnancy, birth, and newborn life? Don't forget to hit that subscribe button so you can continue to erase the unknowns and never miss an episode. And if you're looking for even more, Instagram is definitely where I hang out the most. Come join our community of more than a half a million moms for birth education, tips, and solidarity. You can find me at mommy.labornurse. Check out today's show notes and a searchable library of every Mommy Labor Nurse podcast episode at mommylabornurse.com slash podcast. And while you're there, be sure to head to the blog to learn about our online birth classes too. See you next week. And remember, you can have an even better birth, no matter how you deliver.